Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast with Kareem Farah, Tony Rose Deannon, Kate Gaskell, and me, Zach Diamond. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast, everyone. This is episode 52, and today we'll be talking about introducing this blended, self-paced, mastery-based instructional model to stakeholders. Uh, I'm Kate Gaskell, Modern Classroom Mentor and proud Washington, D.C. public schools instructional coach and teacher. Um, I've returned to school-based work, which is probably why... I'm sounding a little tired. Uh, we, we were um, on my amazing guests and I, before we started recording, we were just talking about, man, being in the building again, getting ready for this, <sighs> what'll probably be another unpredictable school year, you know, um, takes it out of us. But I am really looking forward to this conversation on how we can best introduce, explain, you know, clarify misunderstandings about a modern classroom to all the individuals who are involved in the life of our classroom. Of course, that's our students. They're the most important stakeholders. Um, But it also includes the people who love them, you know, their parents, their guardian. It's also our administrators, both at the school and sometimes even the district level. It could be our colleagues, you know, department chairs or that teacher next door. Um, You know, I was thinking about this and in some ways rolling out new things is easier this school year. I think personally and professionally, many of us can't go back to who we were in February of 2020. Um, Seems that our students, their parents, our admin and our colleagues are perhaps a bit more open to trying a new or innovative approach to instruction. And yet we still need to explain these shifts. So here to talk through these introductions to crucial stakeholders are two all-star returning podcast guests. Zach Diamond is one co-host and middle school music teacher. How you doing, Zach? I'm doing well. I mean, you said it. I'm a little tired, but <laughs> I'm here and I'm I'm super excited. Kate, this is the first time you and I have been on a podcast together in quite a while, so I'm I'm excited. I know. I know. I love I love chatting all things teaching with you, Zach. Yeah. And our second guest tonight, I'm so excited she's back on the podcast, Cheyenne Dixon, who is now an assistant principal and former elementary teacher. Cheyenne, it's so good to have you back on. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your career in education, and then you know, give us the update on your new role. Hi, yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Again, happy to be on the podcast with you, Kate. It's been a while. Um, yeah, so I was a um, instructional coach and fourth grade teacher at Bellwood Annis. And then this year, I finished my um, principal's practicum and decided to apply for some jobs for some experience interviewing. And then I ended up getting hired as an assistant principal at um, Spring Cove School District. Um, so I really, really like my new role. But just like you both said, it's a little exhausting starting a year coming off of COVID. Um, you know, I started July 1st in this new position and it just has, hasn't stopped new learning. You know, that can be exhausting sometimes. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling it too. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I, Cheyenne, you're at a new school. I am in the same district, but at a new school. And, um, Zach, I'm sure you're welcoming new colleagues and, you know, in 
you know, before we welcome our students back in. And I got to say, teachers, if you are out there in a new school or welcoming new colleagues, man, it is tough through the masks. Am I right? Just trying to get to know everyone, you know, with half their face covered and, you know, three to six feet away. It's, yeah. Um, So as we are gearing up for a new school year, we're getting ready to welcome new students into our classrooms, into our school halls. And, you know, for for some of us, uh, this will be the return to in-person learning, you know, for the first time in about 17 months. So we have a lot to look forward to. Um, I want to start by asking each of you, you know, Zach as a teacher, Cheyenne as an administrator, who are, other than students, of course, who are the most important stakeholders in your respective school settings? Who do you need or want to include um, when you are making or encouraging a major instructional shift? I think it's so important to get, you know, your teachers and definitely a cohort of your teachers, the veteran teachers that have been there for a while. I think it's very important, as well as the new teachers, to get them on board. Um, And maybe that doesn't mean bringing everyone together at, at all times. Maybe that means, you know training small groups of teachers, you know, for, for some buy-in and then having them talk about it to their cohorts of teachers and the teachers that they work with. I think that's so important. And the other important part of this is, you know, parents and community. It's so important to communicate this. And even as a teacher, not an administrator, it's so important to have your, your families involved and your parents and parts of the community, people on the school board, um, to really move any new instructional practice forward in your district. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I, I, I love this, this idea that yes, we have our, you know, the school based stakeholders, and we have those, you know, parents and community members as stakeholders. Um, and Cheyenne, I know you're going to be such a great administrator for the fact that you know, you you do you want that teacher buy in you do seek teacher opinion. And um, you know, defer to teacher expertise. Uh, Zach, what about you? Uh, when you are when you are shifting to a blended self-paced mastery based instructional model, um, or when you're doing any other shifts, really instructionally, who do you need or want to include? Yeah, I think that you and Cheyenne both hit on basically all of the groups that I was thinking of. You know, the students, obviously the administrators, teachers, colleagues, and parents, um, I would say that in terms of the stakeholders with whom I interacted the most about the model when I first rolled it out was the parents. Um, Parents had a lot of questions, especially the first year that I rolled out the model. There was a lot of back and forth between me and, and students' parents on how students could be more successful. And I think that the model being very clear uh, helped Right to to sort of facilitate that communication between me and these parents who are getting you know I teach at a middle school and so there's lots of teachers that they get emails from and my emails tended to be very clear to them because the model is very clear and I think that not having any particular group of stakeholders to add I just I just wanted to add that like the model itself really facilitates communicating with those stakeholders in all of those different groups because pedagogically. An administrator can walk into my room and look at my pacing tracker and understand what's going on. The students, because of the model, know what to do next. And the parents, you know, you can explain to parents what students are doing. And so in in all cases, I think the model is just really great for explaining how your class works to these groups of stakeholders. Yeah. Yeah. This is is interesting. So uh, I'd like to divide up our conversation 
today. And let's start by talking about our colleagues, so fellow teachers and administrators. Um, And then we're going to loop back and talk about parents and families, if that's okay. Um, So being back in school-based work has reminded me really just how precious our time is. You know, I think I I am... um, you know, I, I'm looking at my watch constantly to think like, okay, how much, you know, how long is this meeting? I've got to do X, Y, and Z. You know, I think we are the busiest people in the world sometimes as school-based educators. Um, I'm curious when you are explaining, you know, so if you're meeting a new colleague, perhaps that is another teacher, um, or you're welcoming a new administrator, um, you know, what is your elevator pitch about the modern classroom instructional model for someone who's not familiar with it? How do you concisely and effectively describe what you're doing in your room? So I would say the first thing that, I mean, you're right about not having that much time in a school building. We are very short on time all the time. But if there is time, I show other teachers my pacing tracker. I think that the teacher brain kind of latches on to the pacing tracker because it's very obvious What's happening in my class? You know, thinking about the model from a sort of like a verbal description, I feel like a lot of people hear a description of the model and imagine sort of like a very chaotic, you know, bunch of kids doing different things and there's no sense of what's going on. But if you look at the pacing tracker, everything becomes very clear. And, you know, I've always said in in all my communications with different groups of people about the modern classrooms model in general, the pacing tracker is sort of like the nexus of everything. The pacing tracker really shows everything and it shows it very clearly. The students on lesson three, the students on lesson five on pace is lesson four today. So, you know, there's a lot of information in my pacing tracker and teachers tend to understand it. And even teachers who aren't really interested in modern classrooms teaching because maybe they're apprehensive about video or they're concerned about the self-pacing, can look at that and say, oh, this makes sense. It's like a checklist. You know, the students are working through these 10 steps, and you're just checking them off as they as they meet the requirements to move on to the next step. And that is very simple to understand, I think. And so that's where I would start. I guess if I'm making an elevator pitch to sell someone on Modern Classrooms, if, if they're already a teacher, that's what I would do, is I would show them my pacing tracker. That's a really good point. You know, I think that not only is that a very powerful visual, but it's a very practical instructional aid that yeah. kind of clarifies really what we're what we're doing each day and reminds people that this isn't self-pacing just for self-pacing's sake and <laughs> that there is absolutely structure and purpose for this. Um, Cheyenne, when you are just, you know, and you do, you have this experience right now being in a new school, um, how do you describe uh, this instructional model to your new colleagues, you know, knowing that we don't have an hour to sit down or like, let me pull out the Edutopia video or refer you to a bunch of podcasts. Um, um, What's your, what's your, what's your pitch? Yeah. So my pitch starts with, you know, you, you touched on it. My pitch starts with time and it's like their teachers are always lacking time, whether it's time to get through their lessons, time to meet the neediest student, time to meet the gifted students in their classroom or, you know, time to make those um, relationships with students. And I really pitch it through, this gives you more time. This gives you the gift of time while you're teaching in your classroom. I think it's so important, like Zach said, to show them that pacing tracker. I mean, I'm a mentor with Modern Classrooms, and that's the first thing I pull up during my initial meeting with my mentees. Yep, me too. Because it really lets them get their head around what the model looks like. So I think that's a big part of just organizing it in your brain. But my pitch is pretty much like, 
where are you lacking time? Because I can, this model can fix it for you. Um, and it can really give you that time, the time to meet all of the standards and meet your highest and lowest kids there. And also give you time to meet one-on-one with students and have more, you know, interaction with each of your students each day. Yeah. It, it's so interesting because my district right now is talking a lot about like acceleration, not remediation. Um, you know, we want to, we want to scaffold up to grade level curriculum. And a big part of that, of course, is, um, is small group instruction. And I feel very thankful that I'm walking into this school year with a very practical idea of how to create time and just the just, you know, again, just how to facilitate, how to do this practically, how to do that for a small group, uh, small group instruction in a secondary environment, you know, without this instructional model, without, you know, being able to leverage instructional videos to create self-piecing. I don't know how I would have had the time or structures to do that small group instruction, which I think is more important, you know, now than ever. I'm curious, as you describe this to colleagues, uh, where they light up, you know, what are the, what are those, what are those points where people really get interested after, you know, after they see or hear about, you know, what, what's going on in your classroom? I would say where they get the most interested is, you know, how does it work? How, what do you do as like fillers, quote unquote? And that's where it, it does come on in handy to have that pacing tracker because you can show them the must do's, the should do's, the aspire to do's. And most people that I've talked to and shown this to, especially new mentees coming on, you know, their biggest questions center around, okay, so how does this work? This is high differentiation. I can see it. But how does this work with all of these different assignments? And how how do you make this work for kids who might not be able to get through all of it? You know, when I start explaining, you're, you're in the driver's seat still. Like, even though this is self-paced, you are still in control. Um, you look at this pacing tracker and you tell students where to move when necessary. And, um, and, and they really get interested and it seems to click from there. Yeah, I'm, I, that's a really good point. Kind of those common questions we get. So people are sort of interested. I sort of see how this works. Um, yeah, what are, I, I would agree, Cheyenne, I frequently get the Okay, well, but still, what if what if a kid can't get to everything because of X, Y, or Z? Um, I, I, what are those frequently asked questions that you get from people who are like, "All right, you have my attention, but I don't understand how this works in regards to blank." I I don't really remember getting that many of those questions because, again, like when you show a teacher a pacing tracker that that is is clear and lays out what student is working on what. I think that it just makes sense. I guess like there might be some apprehension from from some teachers and, I, and I've had these conversations where they're like, they're all doing different things. They're not all on the same lesson. And I, I guess that that's, that's for me in implementing my modern classroom has been the sort of most foundational shift to my teaching. Uh, I, I sort of think in a lot of ways and the more I use modern classrooms, the more I think this, which might just be maybe getting more comfortable with it but i actually think that the modern classrooms model is not that great of a shift from traditional teaching it's just a a smoother and clearer set of sort of routines to move through instruction and then assessment but self-pacing is definitely a major shift that's the big shift and so some teachers look at that and they're like how do you how do you manage all this what do you do and i think that 
you know, then you sort of get into a conversation around like pedagogy and, and like more philosophically, like how does teaching even work? Because for me, I've basically disassociated content from days in a self-paced class. I think it's really important to, to make that big mindset shift. Like lesson one is not Monday, you know, lesson one is lesson one until you've mastered lesson one. And, and so that's, I guess where apprehension does come up, it's around that topic and the need to sort of shift your idea of content being associated with a particular day. But that's getting kind of into the weeds, I think. And and usually, again, I keep coming back to this, the pacing tracker makes things pretty clear. I have like an anonymized version of my pacing tracker that I share and I put it down in the show notes. Yeah. And me being from like elementary school, I think most of the questions that I get are, are like, how does how does this work? So I understand that I can put a center in as a should do activity for students to practice. But like, I think teachers, especially elementary teachers, they're very used to routine and schedules. And, and so how do we make this work where I don't have them on a center rotation? Um, And it's just kind of like, you will find ways in your classroom that work. Like for me, it was having students hold up a sign when they were ready to um, play a center game. And if a, a child was on pace and they knew they were on pace for the day, then they could stop what they were doing and go join that center and, and play for two rounds and then get back to their roadmap. <laughs> um, like it's, it was mostly just how, how does it work questions because we have a specific way of doing things. Yeah. I really like that idea, actually, just kind of a nugget that I'm going to take with me that you just said, Cheyenne, this idea that if you're on pace, you can take a break from your game board, pick up, go do a center, go do an activity, join a discussion table, something like that. I'm going to, I'm going to play with that idea. Um, you know, I think, I think we all embarked on this journey to turn our classrooms and curriculum upside down. And, you know, we took on additional work. There's no doubt about it. The first time that you are creating these instructional videos, um, it, it, you know, it is, it is, it is new work and it is worth it. I think we can all comment about how we've seen our students grow in an ecosystem created around mastery based learning. To be fair, though, I have had colleagues who've greeted this shift with skepticism. And then I've also had colleagues who I could tell kind of felt a little guilty um, saying like, ah, oh, you know, I know I, I see, I see why you do this. It would be so cool to do this mastery, uh, based learning and the self pacing. I just, I don't have time right now. I, 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 or I'm, I'm not that techy, you know, I'll hear that sometimes. I'm curious if you've had, um, either of these reactions, kind of skepticism or, uh, or guilt, um, and how you've maintained those relationships and explained what you're doing. Yeah, I have encountered, skepticism. And for those people, you know, they've never been like, oh, why are you doing this? It's more of like, I'm on my way out of teaching, and I'm not going to take this all on. But they have bought into parts of it, like instructional videos. And I think that is where it comes into introducing the model in pieces, like giving them a little bit at a time, like don't, you know, and I think that there are pieces of it that they'll pick up and that they'll like. And, and they have like those in the past. I haven't had too many skeptics though. Yeah. And I think like it, it, you know, teachers are going to have different teaching styles and that's, that's great. And not everyone needs to teach with a blended self-paced mastery based instructional model at all. Some of, I know some great educators who will never make an instructional video and they are fantastic teachers. Um, I think, you know, and as long as, 
the as long as these colleagues, you know, maybe aren't our department chair, aren't an administrator, you know, we can we can have kind of differences, differences of opinions. And we can have that skepticism. And sometimes that makes us even stronger educators to to really have to think through and articulate our reasoning for this shift. Um, Zach, what about you? Um, what have you encountered? Yeah, I also have not encountered that much skepticism from my colleagues. I am at DC International School and any listeners who are keeping track will remember that like I, we've had six or seven modern classrooms guests on the podcast from DCI because we have a huge cohort of modern classrooms teachers at DCI. And so I don't think I, I think everybody at DCI is at least modern classrooms aware, if not modern classrooms adjacent or a modern classrooms mentor. Um and so there's not much skepticism. It's just sort of like a thing that happens at my school. I would say that a lot of people became more curious about modern classrooms last year, as I think many teachers did, because of the possibility for instructional videos. So a lot of teachers who might have have been thinking like, oh, that sounds cool, but I have my thing. I'm going to do my thing. And that, you know, that's fine. And last year they came to us. They kind of leaned on us to be like, tell us more about these instructional videos. We don't want to do our live lectures over Zoom because that's that's awful. So, you know, a lot of teachers were coming to me and asking about instructional videos, which I think is awesome. Um, it wasn't necessarily like, teach me all of modern classrooms. It was very much instructional video focused. But I would say that from the, the colleagues of mine that are not like super into the idea of modern classrooms, that's sort of the hook. Yeah, we often get that question of um, how can I, I know this would be I'm seeing benefits in my classroom and I know it could lighten my workload or even be better for kids if more of my colleagues were also teaching with this instructional model. Um, so, Zach, other than, you know, the shift to emergency remote teaching and distance learning, um, what else has been powerful in decisions to shift to the modern classrooms instructional model in your school that you've seen? Well, definitely the the number of teachers that are using the model teaches the model to the kids really well. Like I have kids, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, like I have students that will come into my classroom and they've just come from another modern classroom. And before that, they came from another modern classroom. And so they'll actually, it's funny, they use like the language. They're like, did I master lesson one? You know, (laughs) it's it's very like, it's very meta to see them like talking in the language of the model. Um, But obviously that's superficial. Like they really understand and they're learning these self-direction skills that I think will benefit them in college and career and beyond. Right. Like that's, that's one of the big, big draws to the model for me is not that I can deliver my content more effectively, which I can, but, but really it's those bigger sort of meta lessons about how do you even approach work? How do you break this stuff down and and work through it. And the kids learn that in different ways in different classes. But I think that there's a universal message, which is like, you are in control here and you get to decide whether or not you're successful. And that is something that I think a lot of kids are not really accustomed to. And so having a lot of teachers teach that way or even teach in a way that's sort of like that, even if they're not using the full capital M, capital C model, that's still beneficial to the kids who are getting exposed to that in sixth grade. Yes. Yes. Amen. Because, you know, in elementary school, we preach like read the directions. But, you know, kids in fourth grade, the first two weeks I implemented this model, I remember I wanted to rip my hair out because I was handing back papers nonstop because kids at that age, they look at a problem and they assume what the worksheet wants you to do instead of reading 
what it tells you to do <laughs> often. <laughs> so it's, um, but after the two weeks of just handing back the paper and being like, read the directions and do it again, um, they became independent in, in reading directions. And as an elementary school teacher, that is a huge, like, hallelujah moment. And that, I don't think it would have happened without this model. You know, that's such a good reminder. I think it's not the, it's not the point of our episode today, but teachers, if you are listening, I love when Cheyenne, what did you say? You said you hated your life for the first two weeks. I wanted to pull my hair out. Yeah. yeah. You wanted to, you wanted to pull your hair out. That's perfect because it's, it's so true. Um, asking kids to do school differently than the way they have done school for several years is a major shift and it can be, you know, it can be really frustrating and we can doubt ourselves and think like, oh, can they handle it? Is, was self-pacing a terrible idea? And it does, it does get better. Um, so that's just a, a very important public service announcement before we, before we jump back into talking about stakeholders. Um, <laughs> I think it's very important to mention. So let's talk about the people. So we could have talked talk about colleagues, administrators. Um, let's talk about the people who love our students the most, their families. You know, parents and guardians are tremendous assets. How do each of you uh, as teachers and now Cheyenne as an administrator explain this instructional model to parents and what what benefits do you highlight in those first conversations, again, that are oftentimes very quick uh, with parents? I mean, I always just highlight that it gives me more time with the kids one-on-one each day and to do small group lessons. Um, and then I make, a, make it a point to say the videos are six minutes long. So, and everything else in, in my classroom was, you know, center-based or paper-based or partner project-based. So really, in the scheme of things, they, they weren't on their iPads, you know, that much because that seemed to be the biggest issue. Um, and I think once parents hear it and see it, um, because, you know, sending home those videos, too, in, in like a, a Google site or um, through your LMS, however you want to do that. I think that's so important because then the parents can see what they're watching and use them for homework help as well, um, or to practice at home. And I think after parents have had, had seen that it definitely became like less of a, an issue or a shock factor. Yeah. I really like that. That's, that's kind of definitely a practical strategy you're lifting up about, how we can make parents and guardians more familiar with our modern classrooms and, you know, make sure that there's ways where they can access the video. Um, that's really helpful and can kind of help um, ease fears about excessive screen time. Zach, what about you? How do you explain this instructional model and its benefits uh, to parents, especially in those early conversations? Yeah. So I was thinking about this question in sort of two ways. The first being at the very beginning of the year, like, hello, I'm Mr. Diamond your child is in my class email. And the second year that I taught the, with this model, which was last year, you know, the pandemic year, I I sort of changed my approach from the first year. And the first year, I wrote sort of a lengthy email that was like, this is the modern classrooms model. And we use self-paced learning and mastery-based assessment. And we use blended instruction by blah, blah, blah. And I think that that kind of overwhelmed a lot of parents. And some of them felt like their children were, were being experimented on, frankly. And so there was more pushback. Last year, I kind of just relied on the model itself. And I've I've talked about this before in rolling out the model to students as well. Like the model is is very clear. It's very easy to understand, especially if you look at a pacing tracker. And so in that introductory email last year, and again this year, I'm going to basically say, 
In my class, students will watch videos and then they'll complete a task based on what they learned. And if they need to revise the task, they can always go back and watch the video again. And so, it's sort of just like the most simple explanation possible. But the model itself is very simple, and so it lets me do that. Now, throughout the year, after that initial、um, that initial email, it's really easy for me to reach out to an individual parent, or I've, I've mentioned before, I use yet another mail merge or Yam to you know do blast emails to all of the families, and I'll just tell them at what lesson their student is. I might do an individual one-off email saying your student is. You know, two lessons behind. So, if you could encourage them to finish lessons three and four by Thursday, that would be beneficial for them to be able to finish the unit on time.、Um, or in those Yam emails, and I'll link my blog post. And I, I'm working on that tutorial still, which I've committed to on the podcast, and I promise it's coming <laughs>、um, for Yam.、Um, yeah, so so Yam is great, but again, like those progress reports, I basically send out using Yam. You know, every student gets an email that says what lesson they're on and what lessons on pace, and that's not me explaining the model、mm-hmm. to the families, if that makes sense. But it is me relying on the model to encourage the parents to support their kids or to help the parents to support their kids、um, in their learning, right? Especially if they're behind. The parents know what lesson the kid has to work on, and I think that the clarity of the model makes that communication really simple, and I think that's refreshing for parents. Yeah, I think you've highlighted two really important things that are good reminders. And one is the importance of contributing to an accessible space in our schools, and that's you know,、um, whenever we have you know meetings, whether they be IEP meetings, back to school, parent teacher conference, you know, we want to invo- avoid those acronyms and kind of avoid just、um, the terms that are kind of unique to the education profession. We want to. Make sure everyone feels welcome in their child's school, and by avoiding jargon, we can help do that. And I think that you're absolutely right in highlighting this instructional model simplicity, kind of this idea that well, we work at our own pace, and the students access me through videos. That frees me up to work with students one on one and in small groups, and I can give kids more attention, and they can show mastery. Before they go on to the next lesson, I think that that is a very parent-friendly explanation, and it's it's important to do that rather than you know just kind of assume everyone understands what blended learning is or mastery-based learning.、Um, another thing that Zach, I really like that you highlight is the fact that. When we reach out to parents, it's not too late, you know.、Uh, yeah. There's still something they can do, whether that's around the culture of revision in our classrooms because we are working towards mastery, or it's the fact that you know we've kind of cloned ourselves on video and instruction is available through Seesaw, Google Classroom, Canvas, you know, whatever, wherever we house our. Our videos,、um, you know, th- there's a way for the family to get involved, and we're not just passing on this message of, "Oh, there was a test, your child failed." End of story. Nothing to be done now.、Um, I so I really like that. I like kind of this message of involvement and hope that we can send home. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. I'm curious, Cheyenne. You kind of talked a little bit about anticipating it,、um, about pushback around screen time, and you know, we we actually have a resource that we can put in the show notes about、uh, how to talk about screen time with families and really how to explain. I, I think you do it so well, Cheyenne. When you talk about these videos are six minutes, you know, <laughs> we're not we're not putting your your child on a screen all period.、Um, I'm curious, what other pushback have you either gotten or anticipated?、Um, 
from parents and families? And how have you responded? Um, I think the pushback I have anticipated is, you know, that it's not real teaching, if, you know, they want to say that. I I haven't actually gotten that, though. The most that I have gotten is I don't want my child on a screen any more than they have already been because they've been on computers. Um, But then when you explain that these are six-minute videos and then they're off of the screen um, and I can work with them one-on-one, they they seem to come around to it. Um, Yeah, I just worry that they say you should be doing in-person teaching because that's real teaching. That was one of my biggest fears. Um, And honestly, once the teachers see the – or once the parents see the videos, that – I I don't think anybody has had a concern with that. And that's why I encourage sending the videos home so they can see how you break down the material and that it is your voice and that you are, you know, there in the corner of the screen talking to their child, even though, you know, it's not you at the front of the room, it's still you there with them. And then you can follow up with one-on-one time with them. Yeah. I always liked to highlight, you know, your child through this video, your child can pause, rewind me. Um, They can't do that with quote, you know, real or live instruction. And also I think that um, I think parents really like to know that their child's learning is not necessarily interrupted by a child who, you know, is, is in crisis and who perhaps is, you know, disrupting the learning environment. Um, You know, their one kid's video doesn't need to stop. Um, if that's going on. I think parents have always responded really well to that as well. Yeah. And and that's true. And, and I always, you know, tell them too, if your child is sick or you have to pull them out for an appointment, it they can seamlessly come right back into the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. There is no break in instruction. I don't have to disrupt all of the other students in the class to teach them one-on-one again. Like they have, and if they want to do it at home when they get home, um, or if they're feeling well enough, then they can stay on track at home. And I do think that that gives parents, you know, really a really good view of this because it's like, no matter what, this model is keeping your child on track with the rest of the class. I think that for anyone listening who is struggling for how to message this to parents, I think that acknowledging the school year we're in, I don't think it's out of the question where we're going to have some of our students, especially those who are too young to be vaccinated at this point, um, who could be quarantined um, for certain days of the school year. And so I think just messaging that this allows all students the ability uh, to keep learning and keep keep, uh, participating in the life of the classroom, um, which is going to be extremely important this year as we as we open our doors, but we still we still face a lot of uncertainty. I I uh, I wanted to add one other type of pushback that I've gotten. I, actually, you all make really fantastic points about justifying instructional videos, but that's pushback that I have never gotten um, from my parents. My class was kind of already screen time heavy anyway, but it's digital music, so what can I say? Another type of pushback that I've gotten in a couple of rare cases, but it was like very strong pushback, was the parents of students who generally perform very well in school, but in their modern classrooms classes were a little bit behind, hmm. which I think is a really interesting sort of edge case because these are students who I think are learning those sort of like meta skills, those self-direction uh, habits that they may not have 
necessarily needed because they were able to succeed in a teacher-paced or teacher-centered class. Um, it's a it's not very common, but it is something that interests me because it really highlights again those soft skills, right? Not the content; the content's not the issue. And you know, it's a great point of discussion to talk about, like, well, what is it about this class that the student is struggling with? And it might be, you know, learning to put down their cell phone and watch an instructional video because I'm not there pestering them constantly telling them to do it, right? I'm not at the front of the room trying to get everyone's attention and they're the kind of student who will put away everything because now the teacher's talking. Um, and so in a more self-guided environment, they they struggle. And I just think that that's an interesting type of pushback that has not been very common but has you know sort of gotten me interested in in the topic. Yeah, and creates opportunities to have some some really meaningful discussion with our families. Yeah. So, Shan, I loved how you mentioned, um, you know, kind of a, a strategy that we can give to teachers who are listening, the strategy of making sure that parents and guardians can access instructional videos. You know, it can, can make them feel a little bit better, reassure them that this is their child's teacher who is leading this lesson, point out the various benefits of this video. Um, I think, you know, sometimes we can even be more effective because um, the instruction is right there um, and not many feet away like it would be on a board. And I think parents can see that. Um, are there any other really practical strategies that have been successful as you have introduced um, your modern classroom to parents and guardians or any you want to try this year? Something that I found very successful last school year was um, instead of me sending home updates from students, I would have them send updates to their parents about um, where they are in the unit, if they're feeling behind or or if they're feeling ahead of pace, um, what was the highlight of their week, um, what, what we're learning about. Just having them send a quick little note about, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm feeling about it. And, you know, that also helps me gauge if they're authentically uh, assessing themselves. Like, are you behind? Do you feel behind? Or um, do you feel ahead and you're actually behind? So it, it helps me gauge how realistically they're, they're pacing themselves or how they're viewing themselves. And it gives their parents a little bit of um, feedback, too. And I did feel the parents, you know, read, read these notes home more when they were done by the student. Um, so that was very successful. That's such a good tip. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna drop a resource that Modern Classrooms has in the show notes about how we can get uh, students to lead communication with their parents and guardians. Yeah, Zach, what about you? Yeah, that's a fantastic idea that I had never thought of, and I'm going to try. I already mentioned Yam, which I use pretty much constantly <laughs> to communicate with parents. You know, this year I, I'm really feeling like this is my third year teaching with the model, and I'm really feeling like. I have my systems in place and I just want to find ways to streamline things. Like I know that you can send unique links to a Google Classroom post. So, you know, even clearer than saying, you know, the student has to work on lesson three, I can just say like the student has to work on this lesson and hyperlink it. Things like that, like really trying to up my game in terms of streamlining that access to what I'm trying to tell them they need to access, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. But those aren't very practical strategies. <laughs> They're just complicated. For me, it really is all about YAM and the pacing tracker, which, well, that's what I use to send those YAM reports because it sort of 
sums up their their completed lessons. But I will use that data constantly to communicate with parents, and I will show it to them constantly. Just like with teachers who can look at it and see how your class works pedagogically, you can show it to a parent, and and, and it's just obvious what the kid has to do to be on track. And it clarifies communication with parents. So I guess that would be that would be my tip is to really lean into that pacing tracker and that pacing data to show parents where their kids are at and what they need to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think as you were as you were talking about about the pacing tracker and you know one thing I like to do is if there's a back to school night or on parent teacher conferences, you know whenever I get that opportunity to you know, meet families in person. Don't know if that will happen this year. We might have to find a virtual way to do this. Um, I like to set up my classroom, um, you know, like it's a regular day of class. So I'll kind of sit in the middle in my instructional desk. Um, I'll have an instructional video playing. I'll have the progress tracker up on the board. And I think it kind of helps parents if they can walk through like, oh, okay, this is what my child would do. And this is this is a video. This is where they would take their mastery check. I think it can, you know, it can really help. And um, even I, we can put in the show notes, I think it, we would always have a like a handout that would explain what our classroom looked like to any visitors, you know, so sometimes that might be apparent at a back to school night, or it could be, you know, a community member um, who's stopping by to visit to see if this is, this will be their child's school. Um, I think that those kind of, you know, having those on hand was really handy, but I think it can just go a long way um, for parents just to, like you say, see it in action, see the tracker, see a video. Um, I think that, you know, most in my experience, I think, and I think we each can echo this, uh, you know, parents always want what's best for their kids and any, any, concerns that they've raised have typically been grounded in, you know, misconceptions or questions rather than, you know, just sheer um, opposition. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, very, very few parents understand the model clearly enough to have like direct opposition to the model, you know, to raise concerns about the, you know, to raise concerns about modern classrooms, the model. Um, They want to know how their kid's doing and what their kid needs. Absolutely. And I think that as time goes on, they see that this, this, this is a way that they can really partner with their child for success in our classrooms. Um, So there we have it. We are going to put lots of notes in the show notes for you, the listener, that you can use to explain this instructional model to key stakeholders, be they parents, be they a new administrator at your school. We are here for you, teachers. We know that we are gearing up, or perhaps we've already started, um, another very unusual school year. So please don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions. Our website is modernclassrooms.org. Um, thank you so much, Zach, Cheyenne. I always, I really, I really value these times where we can kind of get together and swap ideas and just share how we're doing. Yeah, it's been really fun. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks, everybody. And we'll be back next week with a new episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org. And you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students in schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project 
Podcast. 